0: Hello there, and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes, and this is a podcast series that looks at the Crusades from the Byzantine angle. At the moment, we're looking at the run-up to the Battle of Manzikert in 1071, which was, I think, a real game-changer because it weakened Byzantium so much that it was forced to turn to the West for help, and that help became known in later centuries as the First Crusade. In the last episodes, we've heard how the Byzantine Emperor Romanus Diogenes led two campaigns against the Seljuks and the Fatimid Arabs in 1068 and 1069, but without securing a decisive victory. In this episode, we'll hear what happened in 1070, the year just before the great Battle of Manzikert. As you'll hear, it was a year full of surprises. As before, I'll read extracts from my book called The Byzantine World War, which was published last year in 2019 and is available at Amazon and most retailers. So let's go. Hope you enjoy it. The year 1070 was the only one in Romanus' reign when he did not lead his army into battle. Michael Ataliates ominously recounts that, quote, from this time on the empire of the Romans was beset with adversities and difficulties, end of quote. But the story of this year was much more intriguing than that. It was not only the prelude to the great Byzantine offensive in 1071 that would culminate in the pivotal battle of Manzikert, but it was also a year that would contain plenty of bizarre twists and surprises. Although detailed source material for this year is severely lacking, we can conjecture that there were probably several reasons behind Romanus' decision to stay in Constantinople. One of them was almost certainly a political crisis, stemming from his failure to prevent the sacking of Iconium and Armorium. Relations with the Dukai seem to have reached breaking point. We know from one Byzantine source that Romanus actually arrested Caesar John and considered putting him to death, but finally decided to settle with taking oaths of loyalty from him and his sons. Caesar John was exiled to his estates in Bithynia, where he remained until after the battle of Mancicurt. Other than that, there is frustratingly little else that we know about the tensions between the Dukai and Romanus, but we can be fairly sure that there was a political crisis in the capital, maybe even an attempted coup against Romanus by the Dukai, as alluded to by one Byzantine source written nearly a century later, quote, if it lay within there, that is the Dukai, power, they would have chosen that he not even live, for he was an annoyance to them, and they hated him as a noble and brave man. End of quote. Another important reason is that Romanus almost certainly wanted to concentrate on building up the army that he took to Mansica the following year in 1071. Both Byzantine and Arab sources are unanimous that the size of the army fielded in 1071 was much larger than those in his previous campaigns. Mustering such a force would have taken time, and Romanus must have been busy in 1070 recruiting and training the eastern regiments, who he wanted to be the backbone of his army, as well as hiring mercenaries. A further reason is the biggest surprise of all. There was, apparently, an offer of a truce by the Seljuk Sultan Alp Arslan in 1070. While this is not mentioned by any of the Byzantine sources, both of the main Arab authors for this period, Bar Hebrais and Sibd ibn al-Jazi, state unequivocally that such a truce was made. Although their histories are far briefer than that of Italiates and written over a hundred years later, they are otherwise reliable, and the conclusion must be that a truce was in fact agreed. Why did Alparslan want a truce? This perhaps is not as surprising as it might at first appear, since Seljuk ambitions, as described earlier, lay with extending their dominion over the Fatimids not the Byzantines. In addition, Seljuk encouragement to the Turkmen to raid Byzantine Anatolia in the 1060s had started to give the Turkmen too much autonomy. Therefore, in 1070, a truce with the Byzantines actually satisfied a number of Seljuk aims. Firstly, it prevented a Byzantine attack. Secondly, it gave them more authority directly over the Turkmen, and thirdly, it allowed Alp Arslan to concentrate on his war against the Fatimids in Syria. Returning to the Byzantine side of events, with the truce in place, Romanus stayed in Constantinople and sent Manuel Comnenus with an army to guard the eastern frontier. His choice of a member of the Komneni was politically significant since they were the main rivals to the Ducae, and by giving them such a senior position, he hoped to keep the Ducae in check. Since there was a truce with the Sultan, Manuel was under instructions just to monitor the eastern frontier – but the reality was that rogue Turkmen warbands were happily ignoring the truce and raiding Byzantine territory. To the south, Hieropolis, captured by Romanus in 1068, was also under pressure from the Fatimid emir of Aleppo. At first, Manuel had some success against some Turkish warbands raiding into Byzantine territory. Michael Italiati's even hints that Romanus was slightly jealous of his success, and it is possible that personal pride might have influenced his decision to order half of Manuel's army to head south to reinforce Hierapolis, which was, of course, the trophy city captured by Romanus in his 1068 campaign, and which was under pressure from the Arabs. Whatever the reasons, this weakened Manuel's forces just. At the moment when he came face to face with a more formidable Turkish warband, that of the Nawakia. But this was no ordinary warband, it was under the command of someone called Ebazgan. Now, Ebazgan is particularly interesting because he was, in fact, Alp Arslan's brother in law who had rebelled against the Sultan and was acting in open defiance of his orders. We also need to look at exactly who the Nawakia were. Although early Seljuk records are almost non-existent, We know that they were a large Turkmen grouping that started to settle in Syria along the Byzantine frontier around the beginning of Al-Parslan's reign in 1063. After fighting as mercenaries for the Fatimid emirs, such as the emir of Aleppo, and it is indeed quite likely that they fought against Romanus in his first campaign in Syria in 1068, they had subsequently decided to invade Byzantine territory in 1070 on their own initiative. But the bizarre twist that now took hold of Byzantine-Seljuk relations stemmed from Alp Arslan's fear of the Nawakia. Since they were aristocratic and indeed related to the Seljuks themselves, they posed a real threat as contenders for leadership of the Turkmen. This would now lead to an astonishing twist in Byzantine Seljuk relations. For Abazgan had led his warband too close to the Byzantine city of Sebastea when Manuel suddenly attacked him. Manuel seems to have been winning the battle until the Turks performed their favourite tactic of a feigned retreat whereupon Manuel's soldiers fell straight into the trap. They pursued the Turks, breaking up their own ranks, only to find that the hunter swiftly became the hunted as the Turks surrounded them and charged home with their sabres. Manuel's soldiers were slaughtered or surrendered, their camp was seized, and the survivors fled to the safety of sebastea's walls. Abazgan even took Manuel prisoner. Then he sprang the biggest surprise of all. Instead of torturing him or even asking for a ransom, he set out for Constantinople with an offer of peace. He explained that he had been outlawed by the Sultan and wanted to join the Byzantines to fight against Alpaslan. This extraordinary turnaround was actually welcomed by Romanus, who met him with Manuel in tow and honoured him with the Byzantine rank of Predros. To the surprise of Ataliates, who described the Turkish leader in scathing terms, as, quote, almost a pygmy in height, and his face was that of a Scythian, which is the Byzantine generic term for all the Asiatic nomads, and ugly because this people are of Scythian ancestry and have inherited their depravity and deformity, end of quote. In spite of this honour conferred on Abazgan, disappointingly for Omanus, it seems that few of Abazgan's followers actually stayed with him, thereby reducing the military benefit of his new ally. And most worryingly of all for Romanus, his welcome of Abazgan had unexpected consequences. It alarmed Alp Arslan, who tore up the truce and immediately dispatched his most formidable, if uncontrollable, commander to invade Byzantine territory. This was the redoubtable Afsin, who had sacked Caesarea in 1067, and both Neo-Caesarea and Armorium in 1068. Returning to do what he was best at – and this time with the Sultan's blessing, Afsin threatened to lay waste another Byzantine city if Erbazgan was not handed over. When this was not forthcoming, he galloped deep into Byzantine territory to fulfil his threat, bypassing the Byzantine cities in central Anatolia, which were probably by now better defended, and finding a city called Konai in the southwest of Anatolia. Konai was another wealthy Byzantine city, similar to Afsin's other victims, and it was not expecting to be attacked since it was so deep in Byzantine territory. It was famous for having a great church dedicated to the archangel Michael, richly decorated with the finest mosaics which attracted pilgrims from a wide area. In spite of having a fortress on a mountainside, its inhabitants appear to have been taken completely by surprise. Instead of going to the fortress, many of them fled to an ancient underground cistern, where fresh water was siphoned off from a nearby river. But this did not save them. As the Turks were defiling the great church and slaughtering anyone still above ground, the unlucky citizens were victims of a flash flood in the cistern from the river following a heavy rainstorm. Horrified, they were sucked down by the torrent of water and their drowned bodies later disgorged. The news that yet another great city had been destroyed by the Turks unnerved the people of Constantinople. From now on, God's displeasure with his chosen people became the only explanation for the empire's grotesque misfortunes. As Ataliates wrote, quote, it was as though these disasters were being caused by divine anger. End of quote. Back in the great palace, Romanus was exasperated by this turn of events. He wanted to pursue Afsin immediately. He was quote, chafing. To cross over the Bosphorus with the soldiers he had with him and do all he could to aid those in the east. But reluctantly he stayed in the palace. Yet he had not been idle, he had spent the year preparing for a great offensive the following spring. In spite of the success of Abazgan's and Afsin's raids, and the casualties suffered by Manuel Comnenus's army, the Byzantine army was now the largest it had been for more than a century. It would soon be ready to march east for the most critical campaign yet. And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be amazing to leave a rating. Thank you so much. In the next episode, we'll get to the final countdown to the Battle of Mansikert.